You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator David Story. It is Saturday, February 20th, 2021, and we're broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, February 21st, 2021, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama. Today, we are talking all about teachers and school reopenings with Kenzo Shibata, the functional vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, and he'll be taking your calls with us, so remember to get that number queued up, 1-866-494-9866, all morning here on today's Valley Labor Report. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, Here's an announcement right at the top. The North Alabama DSA is holding a necessities drive every Saturday. That means this Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local Union Hall, uh, Local 558 Union Hall, in uh, uh, on Clinton Avenue, right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805 in Huntsville. So if you're in the area, you want to drop off some clothes, uh, some non-perishable food items, blankets, then swing by the IBEW Union Hall right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805 from 3 to 5 p.m. this Saturday and every Saturday. Follow at DSA North Alabama on Twitter for more information. And all of that, all of that merchandise is going to the manor house, so it's being yes. distributed very well. And they really need PPE as well. So if you've got hand sanitizer, go by Costco and support the Teamsters out there, and pick up some hand sanitizer and take it over to them or some masks. Yep, yep. Uh, so if you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there and We clip segments and release them throughout the week. Uh, We also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm slash subscribe. We've got a website, thevalleylaborreport.org. And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. 
So let's get to the show. Uh, Kenzo Shibata is the functional vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union. He is the host of a fantastic podcast and YouTube show, Class Time with Kenzo Shibata. And uh, obviously, he's an educator. He's a teacher in Chicago. Uh, as a consumer of media myself, I've seen I've been seeing teachers get hit from all sides, from the right, certainly, but also people who are ostensibly liberal or on the left, and uh, no teachers are being hit harder than the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, so naturally, that's who I wanted to talk to, uh, because I, you know, I think fundamentally the coverage that they're getting is really radically lopsided against the workers and in favor of the boss, and so I wanted to talk to Kenzo, and, and uh, so Kenzo, brother, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Jacob, David, thank you both so much for having me on. I really appreciate that. I'm really excited about this, you know, the show and the project you're working on and glad to be sharing the, the CTU story with y'all. Absolutely. We're really excited to have you on. Um, so before we get into what it's like to uh, be a teacher in the pa- pandemic and the reopening fights, stuff like that, um, I-, I wanted to pay tribute really quick to Karen Lewis. She was mm. the president of the Chicago yeah. Teachers Union uh and she, along with others, really transformed the Chicago Teachers Union from sort of a complacent, kind of inactive union into really one of the most powerful unions in the country. And I think that anybody that's really deep into the labor movement knows her name and knows what she was able to accomplish and really aspires to be like half or a quarter as effective an organizer as she was. And you got to be right there with her. Like, what, mm-hmm. was, that, what was that like? Um, life changing. You know, that that's you know, the bottom line was, you know, knowing Karen even a little bit is life changing. But I got to know her really well. Like when we were first forming a um, a reform group within our union uh, called CORE, basically, you know, the way a union work is you, you can form a caucus within your union of members who feel a certain way about something. And we were very passionate about ending school closings because those were happening at a very fast clip as a part of this privatization scheme from our old mayor. Um, the scheme was called Renaissance 2010. And the idea was to build 100 new schools, two thirds of which would be privatized or charters over the course of 10 years. And Karen and, um, you know, a number of other folks, Jackson Potter, um, Carol Kareff, uh, Nate Goldbaum, we, we came together and we literally were hatching our schemes at Karen Lewis's kitchen table and before anything else happened. And uh, she was someone that became a huge political mentor to me and not just to me. And, you know, you don't want to say like, you know, you want you want to say like, you know, a movement doesn't need charismatic leaders. But what Karen gave us is not just, you know, she wasn't just a charismatic leader. Um, She trained a lot of us to like her in her methods of, of politics and, you know, I would say that the reason why she, uh, the CTU has been capable of continuing on this fight since she retired was because of the lessons she imparted upon us. So it just um, it's been a rough couple of weeks, you know, realizing she's not going to be there with us anymore in, in physical, you know, in, in physical self. But uh, she has been working her butt off um you can say organizing yes. you can say yes. and teaching. <laughs> i can cool you just that. <laughs> so for decades 
she deserves the rest now. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I think that's that's kind of what we've all been saying is that people keep saying rest in power, but like, you know, she deserves some peace right now. Yeah. She's had almost 70 years of power. <laughs> you know, and what you said is, is, is really speaks to a lot that I talk about constantly is we, we try not to have, you know, uh, the type of leaders that gatekeep. You know, we we're constantly in, in unions, we have leaders that want to maintain power. And everything that I've read from Karen, you know, showed that she was the type of leader and you spoke to it that that brought up everybody around her around her and helped train those mm-hmm. and and created a movement instead of a one person show. Right. And I think that's that's important in unionism is that solidarity amongst everyone. And I think the result of her work kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. You know, all across the world, you get these left-wing movements. A lot of times they happen in politics and the electoral arena, but that that they center around a person. I mean, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. we can we can look at, at um, Bolivia for an example of that. You know, Evo Morales did mm-hmm. a lot of good for the people of Bolivia, and he built up a real big base of support. Um, but, you know, he was worried that he, like, he wanted to coalesce and keep power for himself. And so he, like, you know, uh, went against the term limits. And, you know, we had a whole, we had a whole series on Bolivia, and, like, obviously there was a coup there. But, like, there's a lot to criticize Evo for. And Karen mm-hmm. And Lewis, she, you know, like she's gone now and she's not been the president of the Chicago Teachers Union for some time. And y'all are still fighting. Y'all are still powerful. Yeah. She like that is what that's the kind of leaders that we need. The, the leaders that build up movements that can fight and sustain themselves after they're gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, what I loved about Karen, what made her so effective as a leader of teachers, specifically, specifically Chicago public school teachers, she taught for 23 years and she taught for uh, most of that time at Lane Tech, which is a school on the north side, uh, but it's always a magnet school. So it attracted students from all over the city. And then towards the end of her teaching career, she taught at uh, Martin Luther King College Prep, which is on the south side in actually the community she lived in. And so when we were first campaigning in 2010 for CORE to elect her as president, people knew who she was. Mm-hmm. People were like, she taught a lot of people who then in turn became teachers. So, so many schools we went to, people had a Miss Jennings story. That was her maiden name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd go and you'd hand out flyers and you'd talk about CORE and they'd be like, oh, Miss Jennings. Cool. I remember Miss Jennings. And if you think about it, there's only 600 schools in the CPS and to run into like people like that. I mean, I think that's also something that we should look at as organizers having that. I don't think Karen, when she first started teaching, wanted to become the president of the union, but just her being such a great teacher and such a, you know, totally part of her own communities, not like an outsider um, that paid off in the end. And I think that's something that, you know, young leaders can kind of look at, like just build these relationships over time, maybe before you run for something. Right, right. Not that people shouldn't run. You know, Jacob, you're, uh, you know, a leader and I'm very proud of that. But, uh, you know, there are some cases where people get a little hasty, I say. No, yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, uh, you know, I I think that it's good for people to – 
you know, to, to do the work and to try to make those relationships before, you know, like we're, we're restarting the North Alabama Labor Council here hmm. in the area. And, uh, you know, the, there was a couple folks who encouraged me to, to run for president of the council. And I was like, well, you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, I, <laughs> I've only been a union <laughs> member now for like two or three years and to be the president of a labor federation in an area, you know, I, I like, I'm I'm not sure you know I want to do as much work as I can and, and as much good work but I want I want to take some time and learn from folks and build those relationships and build confidence in people and and you know that that on your last podcast you talked about how that would be something that you would you would like from uh, to, to be at the head of the board of education in mm-hmm. um, uh, the board of, of Chicago Public Schools you'd like somebody that was a real educator that uh, you know that somebody that it, you know if you were to have a boss you'd like the boss to be somebody that was actually an educator and wasn't somebody that just just went into teaching so that they could be in administration or just come out of of schools and I think that that goes for leaders of all stripes it would really be good to have leaders that were that are kind of reticent to be leaders that that mm-hmm. want to be workers that want to be movement folks but like they're so good at it that everyone pushes them up into leadership and yeah I think um, with that even beyond having the head of the schools be an educator I want the head of the schools to be accountable to the community yeah and yeah. that I think is, you know, if you go into Chicago to back up a little bit, we have an appointed school board that is completely appointed by the mayor who in 1995 got complete control of the schools and naming the entire board of education gives them so much power. They always name people that are accountable to them politically and not to, you know, the students, parents and uh, taxpayers, for example, right. in our communities, what we have in an, where you have an elected school board, you go grocery shopping at the same stores as people on your school board. So mm-hmm. like, if you're really unhappy with something that's going, you know, you could say, Hey, you know, I'm out, I'm out getting milk. Um, I, I run into the president of the school board. Uh, I, I'm going to bend your ear for a minute. Right. And they know that like people are going to keep bending their ear until they do the, what the community wants. We don't have that. And, you know, I think that's also another thing to go back to Karen a bit. You know, she lived in the community she taught and she was very accountable. She knew her neighbors. Her neighbors knew her. She didn't made no secret about the neighborhood she lived in. And, you know, good. And she took good and bad from that. Like, you know, she definitely was the target of harassment because of that. But also she was constantly listening to people yep. and listening to their problems and not yep. just to, to teachers, but to parents and students. We're, we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. David Story on the line. We've got Kenzo Shibata. He is the host of the excellent Class Time podcast. Yeah. He is the functional vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, Kenzo, thanks for being with us. We've been talking about Karen Lewis and, and some of her legacy. And I think one more thing that I, that I I'd, I'd like to talk about, um, and and then I think that'd be a good segue into what we're what we've been dealing with today is the strikes that. Uh, that y'all led earlier in this decade. Um, because one of the things that we hear today about 
and, and we've always heard, but it's especially prominent today that we've heard about teachers is that they're lazy. Uh, they want to do the most the most work for the least amount of money. They don't care about their communities. The they work. don't care about their children. And the strikes and what y'all were demanding in your contracts that y'all went out on strike for really, uh, I mean, it's it flies in the face of that kind of. Uh, mm. of that kind of logic. So can you talk about those strikes or earlier in the or, or last decade now it's 2021. Can you talk about those strikes and and what y- why y'all were striking and 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 the community support that you had? So yeah, thank you for that question. Uh that, you know, really sums up I think the core of what we, you know, our project has been um which is creating a seamlessness between the teachers union and the community we serve. That you know, we hold meetings that include people who are not members, who are parents and students and, you know, uh, community organizers. You know, we do a lot of work with the Black Youth Project and um, Asada's Daughters, all these, you know, youth and black led organizations. And that's why, you know, it's, it's courted a little controversy in um, recent years with our you know, our steadfast support of Black Lives Matter in the, the Chicago Teachers Union. But, you know, the question you have to ask is like, so who are we serving? We're serving um, mainly working in class and poor students, black and brown. We need to stand up for them. And if we don't stand up for them, they won't be able to thrive. And, you know, and ultimately they will bust the union. So there's both, you know, the right thing to do. And, and there is some self-interest in, in, you know, creating these deep ties. And we started doing that in core before we even took a uh, union leadership starting in like 2008, when we first formed, we t- uh, had close ties to groups like blocks together, uh, the Kenwood Oakland community organization. These are groups that will do b- direct action and aren't uh, really well liked within the nonprofit uh, industrial complex kind of community, mm. you know, not the, non- the nonprofit world where people rub elbows and have galas instead of do organizing work. You know, yeah. these are groups that we work, the group works, we, groups that we worked with did organizing, got arrested. And then, you know, we learned these tactics and strategies from them, got arrested alongside them a few times and put our skin in the game and showed that, you know, we truly do care about this, even when there wasn't you know, any money to be made. You know, if we weren't in union office, um, this was stuff that we were doing on our free time. And um, that built a lot of trust with the community. And by the time we were ready to um, negotiate our first contract in 2012, that was a wild time. Rahm Emanuel was in office for only one year. He hated us. He was constantly attacking us. The first thing he did in office was take away- Wait, hold on. Just real quick, Kenzo, wait. Rom's a Democrat. <laughs> Absolutely. Aren't Democrats in the pockets of teachers unions? That's the funny thing. That, <laughs> yeah, that's the that huge the contradiction there <laughs> is that, uh, well, of course, with Rahm Emanuel was he was he's a national Democrat, even mm-hmm. though he's from Illinois. He was in the White House. He was a congressman. And, you know, the way the bottom line on his demise, I think, was he tried bringing that Washington, D.C. energy to Chicago. You can't really do that because when you're nego- when you're um, doing your politics from D.C., you're not really connected to your own community, and your bad decisions yeah. aren't always reflected upon you. 
he could go on news and like say positive progressive things and Chicagoans liked him while voting for forever wars, for example. You can't do that in your own backyard. And what happened was when he started doing his stuff in his own backyard as mayor, we would protest uh, not at his house because that's illegal, but there would be marches in his neighborhood um, that, you know, coincidentally would be around his house. His life became pretty unbearable. And, um, you know, I think that us as the teachers union, having those strong ties to these community orgs um, and bringing critical masses to these kind of demonstrations. We also brought along a few other people who I think were not as militant as us. So we exposed a lot of contradictions in that Democratic Party, I think. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out because, you know, teachers, not just in Chicago, not that, you know, that's operates in a vacuum. Teachers across the United States constantly get the blame for the failures of the administration the legislators and 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 administrators in in the school districts uh, especially in you know metro areas and, and areas like that where they may perform a little bit poor, more poorly but mm-hmm. but the problem is and it's the same we have the exact same problem here in alabama the problem is the teachers hands are tied completely mm-hmm. tied by the legislature completely tied by the administration and i think it's important for uh the general listeners out there to understand that the teachers bringing it back to what jacob said are fighting for the community they're not concerned about what the legislators think they're not concerned about what the administrators think they're trying to do what's in the best interest of their students and their students families and you know that that y'all have done a good job of making that well known and and some of the others you know with it with west virginia one mm-hmm. of our good friends uh uh is a te- was a teacher there and you know they've done a wonderful job mm. but i think that's important to point out that d- typically the the issue in schools is not with the teachers the issue at school is is with the legislators and the administration that can't that, that's never taught in their life Never, never sit down and try to teach a, a class of 30, 35 students. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, the catalyst for a lot of the problems we've have here is these 1995 laws that were passed in our state legislature. And, you know, to give a little political context to that, remember in 90. Four, when uh, Newt Gingrich did this Republican revolution and took over um, took over Congress, that had a down ballot effect as well. So for the first time in a long time, Chicago or Illinois had a Republican uh, state house, and that Republican state house really liked Democrat Richard Daley when he mm-hmm. was trying to rebuild the machine that you know Harold Washington's coalition destroyed our one progressive awesome mayor uh, a couple decades ago um, but yeah when Daley had made, made this pact with the Republicans downstate to take over the schools because there's a lot of coded language about Chicago when you go into the suburbs or downstate they don't want to take you know they don't want to quote unquote you know take care of our problems so uh that is how the the mayor got total control of the schools. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. This is the Valley Labor Report. All 
right, folks, welcome back to Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison with my co-host, David Story. On the line, we've got Kenzo Shibata, host of Class Time Podcast. You can find that on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, he is also the functional vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union. He just wrapped up finish, finishing uh, telling us how, like, you know, uh, corporate kind of Democrats and in conjunction with Republicans in the Illinois state legislature uh, got control of the Chicago public school system. And so what was it specifically that they were trying to push uh, in those early in, in when y'all went out on strike that, that the teachers in the community, which, you know, folks talk about, oh, the teachers unions, the teachers unions. But when they talk about their teachers, you know, their kids, teachers, they're like fine with them. But the teachers unions are the teachers and especially mm-hmm. the Chicago teachers union. I mean, I, th- I think it'd be good, Kenzo, if you could talk about the democratic process by which those strikes took place, because people don't really realize that they they really buy into the whole third party kind of thing the union is separate from the t- from the workers but really the the union is is what the workers make of it and so you know what was it that these corporate democrats and the republicans were trying to push down the chicago teachers throats that um last decade they were just like hell no we mm-hmm. we, we refuse and went out on strike basically it started with rama Emanuel was the mayor of Chicago, like I was saying, because the state legislature gave all the control to the mayor of Chicago, uh, he or she has a huge amount of authority over the schools. And with Rahm Emanuel in charge, he also had a ton of money. So he has both authority and power. And so the first thing he did was he took away a 4% raise that was guaranteed to us because of a, a, a clause in our contract that allows him to uh, – to rescind that raise if they're if they could prove a financial emergency for the district, mm-hmm. and you know we did a whole campaign because we saw that they were hiding money to, to basically prove this. So he took away that four percent raise that agitated our members quite a bit, and then he extended the school day based upon a lie. Um, there is this statistic he kept moving around, uh, which was later admitted the person who wrote the, the talking point was a lie that kids in Houston, because their school day is longer, have an average of four more years of school at by the time they graduate. This was predicated on a lie because in Chicago, we negotiated a contract sometime, I want to say in the 80s or 90s, where teachers in the elementary schools, because the district couldn't afford lunch monitors, decided that they would take their contractual lunch break at the very end of the day and then basically monitor students um, as part of their duties during the student lunch. Um, Rahm Emanuel used this uh, in very bad faith and extended our school day. So now our school day is longer than almost every one of them. And there's been a lot of negative impacts on that. It's not just that we want to, we don't want to work as much, but like it cuts into our ability to coach. It cuts into our ability to facilitate things like debate club. Uh, So Rom didn't actually bring any extra education to students. In some ways, um, students, I believe, are in the schools less because of that. So when it came to like fighting for our contract, we knew what we wanted and we were, you know, a pretty, you know, fired up, uh, membership at that point. So, you know, we asked them, what do we want? And members said, we want smaller class sizes. We want air conditioning in buildings that don't have it because at the beginning and the end of the school year, it gets unbearably hot. You know, we want to have um, a nurse in every school, which is still a fight. 
We finally want it, but it still hasn't been implemented, you know, mm. 10 years later. Wow. Um, we wanted things that were mainly for the students and that would make our jobs not just easier, but make us more impactful in their lives. Mm. Like if a student is fed, has access to nurse, has access to a counselor, they're going to be more prepared to learn in our classrooms. And so we were really able to rally around that because that's what teachers wanted. And it took a lot of surveying our membership. It took a lot of surveying our community as well. Parents talking to students, doing everything we could to get it out there. And that became our list of demands. The problem being when that 1995 package of laws were passed, one of them made it, um, well, it made it a non-negotiable, uh, non, um, you know, we, we couldn't actually bring to bargaining anything that wasn't uh, payer um, benefits. Yeah. And what that did was it allowed for 15 years of the Board of Education saying to the media, all the teachers want are raises. That's all they care about because that's all we could strike over. What wow. we had to thread the needle very carefully with in 2012 was when we would go out on strike, we were striking for wages and benefits and for unfair labor practices. We were not actually striking for class sizes or any of these other things that we were fighting for, but those were we, we kept those on the table. And that was something that was very different about the way we negotiated was we kept a lot of things, uh, or we wouldn't sign off on agreements on some things to keep other things on the table and all those other things being class sizes, things that directly impacted our students. So we didn't, you know, we didn't settle on pay right away. And that's a risk because the, mm-hmm. you know, the mainstream media then says, oh, well, they're holding out for more money. You know, this class size stuff is a stunt. And then we have to like, and this is the really hard thing to get across to members is kind of ignore the mainstream media and just mm-hmm. keep on keeping on because we're just not going to get good press from them. So we just need to, you know, be our own advocates. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody- isn't that, I mean, isn't that just such slimy, these politicians are telling you the only things you can strike over are pay and benefits, and then, uh, and, and you can't strike over classroom sizes, you can't strike over working conditions, anything like that, and so then when you strike over ostensibly pay and benefits, but obviously this other stuff is on the table, everyone knows you know what you want, and they have the audacity to go out in the media. Oh, these guilt, these these uh, greedy teachers are only striking over pay and benefits, and you're the ones that made it so that we can only strike over pay and benefits. I uh-huh. mean, that's just the most slimy, disgusting, revolting. Like I can't come up with words to describe how how gross that is. Part of it too is backing us into that corner. Yeah. Because if we were to say, no, no, we're actually striking over X, Y, and Z, things that are non-negotiables, they could declare it an illegal strike and you know have an actual basis for filing an injunction. Um, but one thing I do want to mention real quick is that when folks are worried about illegal strikes, uh, which is a very valid concern, every strike that we've had in Chicago uh, since we revamped the union in 2010, the mayor has tried to declare illegal and has, you know, filed for injunctions. So every strike we've had technically in some ways we are functioning as it being an illegal strike, but then afterwards everything with the lawyers gets resolved. Um, It's a pain in the butt, but um, it's just how we have to do it. It's a pain in the butt and it's, and it's demoralizing to to your rank and file because if you anybody that's ever been in negotiations knows just like the, your your example is perfect threading mm-hmm. the needle you really have to be careful of what you say during negotiations and even post negotiations with the media uh 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wind up in, in, you know, in in a lot worse condition than you are. But that it, it's really it's devastating, and they know the the, mm-hmm. the corporate lawyers that are on the on the administration side in your part, but on on corporations in our part, they know exactly what they're doing. They're they're yeah. pushing our backs against the wall. So yeah, yeah. I mean, but y'all have done a great job with communication. That kind of and you've been one of the communicate or the communicating director previously kind of speaks to the ability to communicate to the rank and file teachers and members out there Mm -hmm. yeah so you know kenzo uh you you talked about some of the things that you did when you won uh nurses in every school it hasn't been implemented yet you won counselors in every school uh which i don't think that has been implemented yet or or um you know there it's still working and you know those are things that that y'all fought really hard for for your kids to you know have better schooling and you know i think I, i i even if that wasn't you know technically what you struck over y'all were definitely like you know if you could you probably would have and and you're definitely fighting for those kinds of things and i i think you know that that's like a a good segue into like what has it been like teaching in a pandemic teaching Mm -hmm. remotely because you know you you've like demonstrated your concern for for these kids already and and so uh certainly this disaster has uh impacted your relationship with your students and your ability to teach so can you just talk to us about what it's been like being a teacher during this time if you you know just focusing on the classroom issues even beyond the political fights that we've been on it's been really hard you know it's you know that's what i think makes it so unconscionable that we've had to be in political fights during all this is because just the matter at hand of educating students in this new way um has been stressful enough and difficult enough and it's you know last year when we first went on uh distance learning it happened because the the governor forced the hand of our mayor our mayor did not want to close down schools uh she like let schools be open for like one day beyond most schools in the state and the governor just shut things down and then we immediately were fed felt uh hit with this challenge and i'm someone who's pretty tech savvy i you know i stream i have a podcast and everything but it's it doesn't necessarily translate one-to-one with teaching over zoom or teaching over google meets which is what is the only thing we're allowed to use in in the chicago public schools which also is a host of issues um you know they already had the contract with google so what happened was we that by default had to use google google is uh huge of a corporation as it was was not prepared for what was happening so then they slowly had to add all these uh, additional apps because the idea of google classroom i don't think was to replace the classroom I used to use it a lot before the pandemic, and I thought it was a great supplemental program. It doesn't substitute right. the classroom, and so we're trying our best. If the if the board of education sat down with the union like we we asked them to um, from the very beginning to come up with a plan, I think we could have uh, had something that that worked out better. As it is right now, we have the longer school day, like I mentioned earlier, Rahm Emanuel pushed 10 years ago and we haven't been able to peel it back. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot sees this as a, as a boss, you know, as through the eyes of a boss, not an educator. Hmm. So she wants to make sure that we work. So she wants us to have, you know, seven hours practically behind a computer and it's draining us and it's draining the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think that's really important that folks kind of uh, 
realize what it's like being a teacher during this time. We're going to talk some more about your experience uh, being a teacher, uh, uh, some of the things that, that you, you know, you, you've talked about on your podcast. Uh, and then we'll talk and then we'll kind of go into some of the more political fights. You know, you've had you've had some pretty high, high profile battles with your mayor and uh, and you've been really tarred and feathered in the media by by your mayor and by media all over the country. So, you know, we're going to talk about that on the other You're side. Stay to tuned. the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. We've got on the line with us Kenzo Shibata. He is the host of Class Time Pod. He is the functional vice president for the Chicago Teachers Union. He's been talking to us some about what it's like to be an educator during the pandemic. How have your children been uh, been um, reacting to the remote learning? Like how how have they been holding up with it? My students or my own child? Yeah, well, well, both. Either, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, either. Well, I you know I have a third or sorry, I have a second. I, ooh. I almost gave him the wrong grade. I have a second grader uh, and uh, we're very involved in his school and it's right down our block. My wife is on the local school council. We don't have an elected school board, but we had this awesome program led by our former mayor, Harold Washington, which um, gave uh, us these local school councils where discretionary spending, who the principal is, these are voted on by parents and uh, members of the community. So, you know, we're really happy with um, even the online education he's having. I will say this though, that is because we are so involved in the school and we know so many of the teachers, we know the principal, we know so many of, uh, of the folks there. One thing though that we did make sure to do, my wife being so involved as a, you know, an elected leader at the school, she talked to every parent in my son's class uh, because the principals, when we went, to, when we, when the mayor started pushing this in-person learning, the principals were tasked with basically selling it to the parents. They could be sanctioned, you know, their employees, they're kind of middle management, even though they're elected to the schools, they can be fired by the boss still. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're selling in-person te- uh, learning and, you know, the job, my wife is a, as a room mother, she was just calling all the parents and, you know, having the one-on-one she's, she's a former labor organizer. <laughs> so she was having the one-on-ones and, uh, you know, all the, they all, all but one decided that they didn't want to, uh, do the, uh, in person. So my kid's poor teacher who we love, and she's doing a great job has to teach one kid in class and then another 15 kids online while wearing a mask, while the one kid is in the classroom in a mask behind a shield, uh, you know, a plexiglass. Um, it's weird and it's off-putting. Um, but because of all the work that we've put into making his school be, you know, really responsive to the community, he's having a pretty decent experience with it. My students, uh, I teach high school and I have uh, mainly seniors this year. And they hate it. They hate having so much screen time. That's the one complaint I hear the most. So I try my best to limit it as much as possible. But the Board of Education, as much as the union demanded, is not allowing us allowing us to modify the school day to cut back on screen time. And if you go to the suburbs, 
they are doing that. You know, the the schools systems that have, you know, honestly higher test scores, um, they're lowering screen time to like maybe two hours a day. And we're still required to have a full almost seven hour day of that. So um, my students, they're just ready to graduate. They are sad about missing prom and they're sad about missing graduation. But uh, overall, they said that if we went back to in-person, they would not take that and their parents would support them in that because, you know, the students I teach, you know, a lot of poor working class, black and brown students, COVID has hit their communities very hard. Mm. And they know that like, even if the CDC says one thing, you know, they've gone to work and they've caught COVID at one point or their families caught COVID or they've, you know, lost family to COVID. It's, um, I think that's why like, Overall, majority black and brown families are not sending their kids in person. And um, only 20% so far of families have even um, opted in. That's that what you just said, you know, about them forcing you to have so much screen time. Yeah. That, that once again speaks to what we were talking about earlier, but it also speaks to the disconnect because here in our state, uh, all of the teachers are working, but the parents had the option. You could you could opt in to in person or opt out and do uh, online. And I've I've got two children that's still in school, both in high school. So you would you would be teaching them. And we went and met with the teachers uh, prior to the school year starting, and they both wanted to go online uh, for for various reasons, but. They, they allowed the teachers a lot more flexibility here to put together mm-hmm. lessons and things like that. And they do the screen time like what you're talking about. That's available to the students if they want to go in and, and watch it. But also, uh, you know, at 16, 17, 18 years old, they recognize that at some point these children are going to have to learn responsibility, you know, as they enter the workforce and they're close to entering the workforce if they're not going to go to college and they they kind of put the onus on the children and said mm-hmm. you know if, if you're not getting it you're gonna to have to come to school in person but if you're making good grades you can continue doing this and we're just going to kind of give you your work and i can tell you i had a she just turned 18 this past month an 18 year old daughter that was consistently a cd student uh, because she she has some uh, anxiety, you know, social anxiety issues. This went to an AB honor roll student this year, and it's really, you know, it speaks to allowing these teachers the ability to 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 meet the needs of students mm-hmm. where they're at, as opposed to trying to force this blanket, yeah, one uh, size fits a, all yeah, authoritarian crap on all these teachers and the students in general. So. Yeah, I would say like just the whole overall, like the overarching thing about the pandemic that makes me so mad is the bosses, the capitalists have had these expectations that we produce at the same rate that we would outside of the pandemic. And if we can't do that, that's on us as workers. And, you know, I think it's most naked on display when it comes to the teachers fight, but it's happening absolutely everywhere. Like, and you know, what does that mean? That means that because we are working harder, you know, we, the, the cost of masks, the costs of transportation have gone up for, you know, workers that we're actually getting compensated less for doing more. My days 
as a, I, you know, my 17th year of teaching now, I could, um, some lessons I could honestly teach practically asleep. Like I, I could just do that. But this year, it's not like that at all because teaching online is not the same as teaching in person. Right. There's just so many things that you you lose out of it. Like you can't really do group work in a, in a good, you know, with fidelity. Um, you know, if a kid is having a bad day, I can't just walk around the room and kind of say, hey, how, how are you doing? Because, yeah. you know, most of the kids just have their cameras off. So I can't tell if a kid is behind, you know, the screen smiling and, you know, into it or if they're moping or if, you know, frankly, they just logged in and then walked away. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not to put it on kids that, you know, they're they're going through this also. And to be have the same expectations that they had beforehand is just, I think, so unconscionable. And Bernie was really good at putting this out there about, you know, people that fell into bad luck with money said, it's not your fault. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's the message that we need to keep carrying through this pandemic is, you know, there's been so much death and despair. And, you know, if we're having a day where we're not productive, it's not our fault. And, you know, the bosses shouldn't be exploiting that. Yeah. And and you, you bring up a good point about funding and I'm, I, I'm sure you've seen it. I don't know if Jacob's seen it. I actually was listening to a brother, uh, on the on the drive in talk about uh, just come out yesterday that that uh mayor lightfoot 60 percent of the the discretionary spending of the covid relief money that went to chicago 300 million dollars went to police no and it's like are you're forcing teachers to go back to school from what i've read they kind of they said that they were going to have these partitions up but they didn't provide any way of funding for the partition so it sounded like from what i read it sounded like the administrator said yeah you you may wind up having to buy it yourself if you want partitions for the you know Mm -hmm. but yet we're going to turn around and spend 60 percent of the funding the discretionary funding on cops and it's like Come on, man! What are you thinking? I mean, it just speaks to the. I, 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 I've I've been to Chicago a few times, and, and I love the city, but I really hate that mayor. Yeah, I mean, I really, really hate that mayor. Yeah, I mean, well, and so let let's talk about some of the the fights that you've had with the mayor during during this time. Like, what what have they been? You know, because the thing, you know, obviously the thing that that gets thrown is that you know y'all don't want to go back to work because you hate having to work and you hate your kids. And like that's obviously, if you listen to you now, like you can tell that you've got concern for your children and you want to be able to like you know you want to be able to like see them in person and, and teach like normal. And that's you know what you're looking. For is not you know you just said working remotely is more difficult for you and so what has it what have y'all been asking for and what has the administration been giving you and and uh, ultimately y'all did accept an agreement so let's you know talk to us about what the final agreement was and if anybody's got a question you know we can go ahead and queue you up uh, 1-866-494-9866 if you want to call in but Kenzo you know tell us about the fight that you've been having with the Chicago Public Schools and you've well, David, got about you got about one minute before we go to a break. So, well, David, I'm glad you brought up the police thing because uh, even beyond that, the uh, school budget had 30 million in there for um, student resource officers, which are cops in in the schools, which we as a union and community groups fought to, to get taken out because the mayor says we're broke. Why are we, you know, backwards, you know, backdoor funding the CPD through school budgets, mm-hmm. the city budget? 
also had uh, the the uh, the police funded um, through other revenue streams other than you know the usual CPD. And now we're seeing that COVID funding. Uh, one thing I also want to bring up: two hundred or three hundred million going to the police. Two thousand dollars went to the Office of Disabilities for pandemic funding. Two thousand um, dollars. So these fights over the budget and a people's budget that has been the core of it for a very long time. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story on the line. We've got Kenzo Shibata, host of Class Time Pod. He is the functional vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union and an educator himself. We've been talking to him all morning about uh, about the Chicago Teachers Union, about the uh, how it's what it's like been like being a teacher in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, if you've got a question for him or for us, give us a call. 1-866-494-9866 is the number. Again, the number is is one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. So Kenzo, tell us a little bit more about um, about the fight that y'all have had with uh, your the the reopening agreements. What have y'all been pushing for as as the teachers, and and what has the administration been trying to get you to do? So um, starting. Uh Last uh, or starting the very beginning of this school year, the problem was that the uh, the union was demanding that the board sit with us to negotiate what this would look like, and we had a, you know we had real you know solid plans about committees that could be formed, like how we could actually like you know work with some of the actual educators that work with the board of education to hatch a plan that would work for students, and you know I know we had ideas for social emotional learning, which. I think is crucial, critical right now for a lot of the students that are feeling very isolated and the board refused to work with us. And, you know, one thing that's really telling recently in an interview with Mayor Lori Lightfoot was that she says, I think that the union is trying to run the schools. And I I think that that the CTU has political ambitions. And I'm just like, damn straight. (laughs) <laughs> that's what a union is who knows, man. who knows better how to run the schools than the teachers union yeah. but you know so I think that went into like a lot of their resistance was they are ideologically opposed to having teachers and you know not just teachers but like paraprofessionals clinicians all the folks that we represent actually hatching this policy so because they created a fight out of it we wanted it to be cooperative they you know us to work together collaboratively they turn it into a fight and then we called for a meeting of our house of delegates at the end of last summer to talk about a strike and then the board backed off they um at that point i think they were very smartly did not want to have a strike we didn't want to have a strike we were fully prepared but uh we did not want to either and they said okay distance learning but they wouldn't give a any solid like okay for this year or anything like that they just said but as soon as it's safe we're going to have in-person learning and uh so that became like a continuous fight where our union officers were negotiating with the board over you know what ppe would look like what you know building cleanliness uh social distancing would look like and i have to say the final agreement that we got is far in a way better than what the board 
gave us. So like the fact that we were pushing a possible strike, lots of, you know, work mm-hmm. actions, um, you know, our officers working around the clock, uh, negotiating, we got a really good package. I still voted it down. And the reason why is because I've worked for this board of education for 17 years and I know they're not going to uh, implement this with fidelity. Yeah. And lo and behold, well, you that's just already said the that problem. 10 years happening. ago, you won a nurse in every school. 10 years ago, you won a nurse in every school and you still haven't gotten that implemented. Well, a year ago, we, we won that. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, but we increased the ratio 10 years ago. Um, and that was just never a conversation. So like our ability to fight for it in 2019 started with our 2012 contract fights. Mm. Um, but, you know, the thing with a nurse in every school is, yes, we agreed with the board to have this a phase in over, over a few years because they, they cried poor and said we can't hire these nurses right away. But when we said that, you know, we, we were saying, OK, this is the floor. You, there's nothing that prevents the board from hiring nurses at a faster rate than they are right now. Mm-hmm. And had they done that, we'd be in a better position to open up schools. We have schools that are opening yeah. without nurses right, right now. And with you know teachers that are mostly not vaccinated yet, this was just not the time. And the negotiations, even though we were, were negotiating a package to, to reenter, the bottom line was that we wanted to negotiate on um, the start date for in-person. And that was something the board was not legally compelled to negotiate over. So um, they determined that it was gonna be immediate, even though they weren't prepared by any means for that. And so we had to take it, I think. I um, Even though I voted down the, the package and um, you know it won by 68%, I think the reason why it won wasn't necessarily that educators trust the board, but they worry about their students and we worry about our image in the public. You know, that's something I had to talk a few members kind of down off the ledge about because I'm just like, parents still like us. It's, you know, these reporters Um, and not even the local reporters, local reporters are doing fairly decent work right now. It's MSNBC. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, Lori Lightfoot can be on meet the press. And give her talking points and they never invite union leaders and all of these things compound on and break down morale. And I think that's why the majority of our teachers took the deal Mm. and um, we're still fighting now to get it implemented. Yeah, it's those national Democrats that you spoke about earlier, Rahm Emanuel being one, that now that Biden's elected, everything's wonderful. Everybody can go back to (laughs) Mm -hmm. brunch. We can send all the kids back to school. And then, hey, it's 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 it's. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sickening is what it is. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. absolutely sickening like, to, to, to the core. God, I hate these people. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I know we're on a radio yeah. show, and I'm, not, I'm trying not to vent, but God, I mean, it's just it's so – it's it, well, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think David, I don't think you follow Kenzo on on Twitter, but I mean, he's no, been having the exactly, him, yeah. he's been having the, exactly the same kind of reaction as that, like how disgust, how disgusting it is that these national Democrats are just like, uh, in many cases, now that Demo- that now that Biden is elected, they're like, all right, back to brunch, teachers get back in the classroom, like everything, mm-hmm. let's go back to normal, nothing is wrong, yeah. and it's. It's so, you know, and that speaks to, like, you know, MSNBC is supposed to be the liberal thing, but they're a corporate news network, you know? Like, they are not worker. that You just said, like, that's amazing to me that they won't even try to 
give the facade of being interested oh, in what the workers are thinking yeah. by e- n- not even bringing on union leaders to berate them. Like, they won't even give them a platform. Here's the problem is it's not just the workers. This is the problem that nobody's talking. I, mean, no, I hadn't seen anybody talking about it. But a lot of the children, in, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to say a large majority, but there's a, certainly a small subsection of children all across the United States. I work with a guy that's 70-something years old, and he's taking care of his grandson who's about, I think he's in kindergarten or first grade. And they say, well, it's not going to affect the kids. No, it may not affect the kids drastically if they get it. But when they bring it home to a 70-year-old grandparent that, that's supporting them, mm-hmm. their only support because their parents are in jail, what, what the, I mean, it's your constituents. And, and they know this. They absolutely know it. They're covering it up and hiding all of these talking points. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for what reason. I have no clue how it benefits them politically to do this. It's just it's, it's asinine. Yeah, the situation I'm in, my wife is immunocompromised. She has breast mm-hmm. cancer. And so that's like the top of our priority. Like we are extremely careful. And I just feel like the Board of Education doesn't have any room for like humanity. And that, that that's one thing that's really upsetting. And, you know, one of the things I immediately applied for a distance teaching uh, exception in the case that they do recall high school teachers. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, I got a, uh, an email saying that was rejected um, and that I would have to report back to school and high school teachers weren't even expected to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that part was a mistake, but like they I, I, honestly it was rejected and they said it was because they have a need for extra teachers. So it was eventually rescinded because it was a mistake, but I'm still on deck in case they... Um, they do recall high school teachers back to the classroom. Um, what worries me about that is even though my students overwhelmingly, I don't think are going to sign up for in-person mm-hmm. that as we're part of our agreement with the board for elementary school teachers who have already been called back was that um, if you have no students, you can work remotely. So like if you have 15 second graders and all 15 families work or, you know, apply for um, or want to have distance learning, then you can teach them distance. Hmm. And uh, the board is rescinding on that. So I'm assuming it'll do the same to me. Yeah, that's so. insane. I mean, that's there's if all 15 of your students are electing to go to distance learning, like the the only point of saying you've got to come into the school is just cruelty and power and showing you like we can do like we're we the boss. We yeah, that's the only ones. there's there's no re- I mean that's 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 crazy and y'all are being made out like you're the you're the bad guys it's in it's insane it doesn't make any kind of sense at all and and you know like you mentioned earlier that that most of your uh poor and black and brown students they're being trotted out in the media as oh the teachers don't care about these marginalized communities because they're the ones that are being hit worst by remote education well they're also the ones that are being hit worst by covid and so they are electing by a majority majority of the folks in these marginalized communities are electing to keep distance learning and so the the audacity to trot them out as a, a as a as a meat shield and throwing them at teachers when they're doing what the majority of these communities want it, it, to, to keep them safe to uh, in, ensure that remote learning is a possibility I mean it, it just it, it baffles me it really really baffles me 
<laughs> yeah, and I think it baffles all of us. I think yeah. it's just you know I got I, I got a brother that, that I, I told you about when we came in. Uh, his wife's a school teacher. She had to go back to teaching. She come down with COVID just last uh, three weeks ago, and he said she had it. And, she, and she's a, they're a young couple, mm-hmm. uh, two children, uh, probably about six and eight. And he said she was terribly affected by it, mm-hmm. and and uh, and then brought it home to her kids. And it's like there's no concern for human life. And I, it's like I said, I don't know, I don't understand what the political. It's it's almost like genocide. I it, it's I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I have know. no clue where the political posturing comes from that that this is acceptable and like it definitely was the board uh like the the mayor being like a juggernaut because as soon as they open up like the first phase in which were 50 schools every school got a case of covid in it and had to you know deal with that and she's still pushing ahead for all this, even though we have data right now saying, you know, the idea of having a slow phase in was so we look at the data afterwards, like, right. oh, was this a good idea? It's proven to be a bad idea, but she has a bone to pick with the union. I think that's her bottom line. Yeah, I mean, that's what it, that's exactly mm-hmm. what it sounds like. And like you said, whenever she said last week about it appears that the, the teachers union wants to take over the education. Yeah. I, Okay. Good. Yeah. What's the bad yeah. part of that? <laughs> yeah. How can we fire your mayor and, and let the, you know and then let and let the teachers union start running education? I mean, you know, we talk about it weekly. The workers I, should run their industry. It's yeah. as simple as that. If we you, tried if running Carrie Lewis for mayor at one point, but then mm-hmm. you know, cancer sucks, and it yeah. you know, it took her. Man, yeah. I can't. I can't. That's just so the universe is is cruel like i i just can't imagine chicago with karen lewis as mayor that would i mean talk about being a a beacon for the you know justice and humanity you know like like new york and and la are supposed to be you know they're supposed to be these liberal progressive bastions and and they've all got you know these corporate democrats leading them and it man Karen Lewis, Mayor Karen Lewis. I just that would have been that, that would have been so cool. There was we so much about, energy. I went to the first like canvassing meeting for that. It was in an old mm-hmm. church, and like there were just hundreds of people there shuffling around with literature. Um, yeah, what could yeah. have been? Yeah, we got to we got to find our next next candidate now. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kenzo, we've got one more segment. We're gonna uh, take a break real quick, and we're co- we're gonna come back. We haven't got any calls, but we did get. Uh, we did get one question from a labor organizer in education, a good brother of mine. Uh, he, he had a question for you, and I'll pose it to you. We'll let you answer it on the other side of the break. He said he'd love to uh, share more on how y'all grew core and identified potential leaders and activists, and what advice do you have for education activists here in Alabama? So we're going to get Kenzo's answer on that on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. On the line, we've got host of Class Time Pod and functional vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, Kenzo Shibata. Uh, and I asked him, and he's going to answer uh, ha- more. Uh, 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 a good brother of mine asked, 
if he if you could expand on how y'all grew core and identified potential leaders and activists and what advice you'd have for um, educators and education activists here in Alabama. So uh, that is a great question, and there are many many ways that we approach that. One of which was we had a campaign. It wasn't like this is a problem I think a lot of reform caucuses run into when they try to uh, form within unions is they know that the their leadership is corrupt or uh, calcified or some there's some reason why they just don't like their leadership. So the form you know a reform caucus and their bottom line message is they're bad we're good, and that does not motivate people. And for the most part. 10 years ago, in particular, uh, people did not care about the internal politics of their own unions um, in, in most in the vast majority of the time. So you got, talk to someone and say, you know, the leading caucus is bad and we're good. And people are like, I don't know what a caucus is. I don't care to hear about it. It doesn't impact my life. But at that time, um, the Board of Education was closing a lot of schools, about a dozen a year. On top of that, doing this process called turnarounds, where they would fire every single person in a school building if the uh, test scores dropped below a certain uh, number. And that includes like janitors, cafeteria workers. Like the idea was every adult in the building has failed the children and you need to hire a brand new staff. So the material conditions have changed at this point for a lot of our members who had felt like they had more job security. So we were, we did that. We, we, we approached this in many different ways. Uh, one of it was we would hold rent parties, um, kind of like a mutual aid attempt um, at fixing the problem. Um, and, you know, for, for educators who lost their job and needed it. And it was great for organizing. It brought people, uh, to, you know, to come to these events, to talk and listen and join. But, you know, y- you couldn't really scale that up. We couldn't, if, if you know, 12 schools are closed in a year, we can't pay everyone's rent um, just by, by collecting money. So, uh, you know, we became more political at that point and um, had a, uh, we, we would do like speaking tours at schools that were, um on the the list they would call it every year like there would always be a long list of schools that were up for closure and then they would always whittle it down to 12 to have this media narrative that you know the the board of education cared (laughs) basically um but yeah what we did is we helped those schools fight to stay open and you know a lot of those early uh folks that were fighting to keep their schools open saw core as the only place working with them that the union leadership had very little to help so, you know, we had our own media arm, we had our own organizing arm, we had kind of a flying squad that would show up to, you know, any kind of solidarity actions and just being very political, but not just political in the sense of contrasting us with another group, but actually fighting for something. And uh, that parlayed into us getting involved in the pension fights and kind of our trial balloon. Um, before we ran anyone for union office was we ran a couple of our members for pension office and uh, for our pension board. And that got us to kind of test out our electoral capabilities. And, you know, that's how we charted out where we had our supporters in which schools. And, um, you know, we would send them out, the candidates out to talk to members. Uh, And then we also, as ourselves, as core members became surrogates and spoke them up and um, passed out literature and 
from that, you know, we grew our base from there. So, you know, getting involved in fights and being very visible, um, it, it has two different positive uh, outcomes. Like one of them is, you know, you get involved in the fights and like us, you eventually grow and you take over your union. However, if you have a savvy union leadership that maybe they were just kind of sleeping for a bit because no one nudged them, you know, if they see a little competition, that might just make them mm-hmm. be more responsive too. And then you don't have to necessarily run against them. So just being political and being active uh, had helped us hugely. Right, right. What did you do to like identify some of those, uh, you know, potential leaders in their schools and things like that? That's a great question. Um, we had a steering committee. And uh, always the course still has a steering committee, but um, the steering committee, we would come together and, you know, we would talk about the school visits we had um, and debrief and, you know, mention people that we'd met along the way. And because one of the things you have to do to run for union office in um, a Chicago teachers union election with, at that point, I think we had 25,000 members, you have to run a slate of a hundred people. You have, you know, your officers, you have an executive board, which like I'm on now, that's how I'm a functional vice president, but I'm still teaching. Hmm. And then you have about a hundred, actually maybe up to 150 delegates that go to the American Federation of Teachers Conventions and the Illinois Federation of Teachers Conventions. So that gives you an organizing goal, you know, to build your, um, build your ranks together. So we knew right away that we needed to have not only, you know, 100, 150 people, but we needed to have certain amount of people that would be committed to being on the executive board, to being uh, being on the board of trustees, being on, you know, all these different roles. Um, so, you know, we had conversations about it. And then eventually, you know, when it came to put, putting together our slate, we had to just put a call on a call for people to apply. And, um, you know, we'd evaluate people, um, the first time we ran, um, to be honest, we had to just bring in friends and family sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> to fill up the entire slate, um, which didn't turn out bad. You know, that could turn out very bad if uh, if you don't have like your your kind of your ethics of your organization really ironed out. You don't have, um, you know, principles of unity. Um, but that's how we were able to do it the first time around. And then over the, the three years of um, being in office, you know, we deter- we met new activists and they made it into the fold. Some people wanted to take a step back. So it's, it's a constant um, uh, fight or not in fight, but it's a constant uh, thing to be developing leaders. Mm, yeah. Kenzo, we've got about two minutes left. What would you leave people with uh, that have been hearing the things about teachers, uh, specifically the Chicago teachers, but teachers all across the country in the mainstream media? What would you want them to know? And make sure you plug your show. Yeah, plug your show. Plug plug your stuff. Uh, I would say the one thing I I would want to get across is that um, this is the ruling class cracking down on uh, a gateway to the middle class, which was teaching. And for me, you know, I grew up poor, but uh, teaching put me in the middle class. It got me decent insurance and I'm not alone in this. And right now, because of austerity, they're coming for us. And we are now no longer considered part of the professional managerial class. We are being proletarianized, so to speak. And this means we need to have solidarity with all workers. We 
as teachers cannot think of ourselves as a union of professionals, we're a union of workers and we need to expand the labor movement and be fully a part of it. So that's what I really wanna get across is that, you know, we are all workers. And you know whether you like it or not, that that's where we're at. So we have to organize. And uh, to hear little pearls like that, um, check me out on class time. Um, go to Patreon.com/slash K-E-N-Z-O-S-H-I-B-A-T-A. That's uh, Patreon.com/slash my full name, and uh, you can subscribe to the podcast. And uh, love to have you uh, part of the community. All right. Kenzo, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Definitely check out his podcast, Class Time with Kenzo Shibata. This has been the Valley Labor Report, and we will see you next week. All right.